Wonderful. It's always nice to hear the chatter. Comparing football results and all those important things. So, And we'll have a chance to continue that after the service. We have teas and coffee, so do stay around if you can and join us. That'll be fantastic. So I'm going to invite Dave up to the platform. Let's give Dave a warm welcome. Great to see you this morning, Dave. So let me ask you just a couple of questions. Yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you don't live in Birmingham? I don't live in Malvern. Malvern, yeah. yeah. How far is that from here? Is um, about 40 minutes, 50 minutes down the road. Ah, okay, yeah. wonderful. On oh, Sunday, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And you're not from Birmingham. That's not I'm a Birmingham not accent, from, is it? It's a northwest accent, so not quite Liverpool, but I can do Liverpool if you want. Um, a bit more kind of Wirral, so the kind of between ah. Wales and Liverpool. Have you ever tried a Birmingham accent? You don't have to. I'll have a go. So <laughs> I won't play like this now. Yeah, I'm not sure which part of Birmingham okay, that was. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I think it's a good try. It's a good try. Sorry, Dave, I didn't get your right. <laughs> Just tell us a little bit then about Regents and what good things that people can connect with at the engage. moment and engage with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, Regents Theological College is Elim's main training centre. Um, as Phil said, just down the road in, in Malvern. Um, There's a whole host of things that you can engage with. Um, Some people study because they're thinking, I want to go into ministry and um, kind of church-based ministry or ministry in the kind of the wider sense of the word. And we've got a whole host of training in youth ministry, um, church leadership, theology, um, and performing arts and theology. Um, But probably one of the most exciting things that actually could be a Christmas gift for someone, let me just kind of throw that out there, is we've just launched a new uh, set of courses called Regents Life. Um, Because lots of people say, I can't come to Malvern, life's too busy, I've got a full-time job. And we wanted to kind of help. Theology means understanding God. So um, kind of understanding God for life. When I go to work, when I'm in my family situations, how does my understanding of God help what's going on in those spaces? So we've got some short courses, kind of an overview of the Bible from start to finish. We've got one on discipleship and um, neurodiversity. We've got um, courses where you look at the book of Revelation. Um, but but we always try to spin it and say, but what does this mean for me in my everyday life? And you might want to engage with some of these and pick up one of these cards at the back and uh, pass one on to a friend yeah. as a Christmas gift. Wonderful. Thanks, Dave. I did, um, did some study, did a master's through regions, and it's very practical as well yeah. as you yeah. learn so much. So, yeah, yeah, check out on the website all the different things that you can engage with. Bless you this morning, Dave. Thanks for coming. Thank Leave you. you to it. Thank you, Phil. Well, it's great to be back with you and uh, very exciting to kind of be around. Why don't we just pray together? I always think when it kind of comes to this moment, uh, we, we want to hear from God more than we want to hear from the person who's speaking at the front. So let's just invite God's presence. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you will speak to us, that we'll hear the whisper of your voice. God, that your words will um, direct our ways and that we can be changed and transformed um, in the process. So, Father, we um, turn on our attentive radar to what you might want to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to try and um, do that awkward Sunday where it doesn't quite feel ready to start preaching Christmas things. Um, but, but if you don't kind of make mention of it, people get a little bit upset. You know, people in church do get upset from time to time, depending on what you do or don't preach. So um, I, I'm going to kind of do a soft entry into the kind of Advent Christmas season. Uh, but it might not seem as predictable as you might think. Okay. 
So I want to think about hope, the kind of um, the, the, the journey of hope, and the fact that God weaves himself into history and our world, maybe in, in ways that we hadn't always imagined. The, the word hope can feel a bit intangible, yeah? So, so, so when you kind of think about love, well, I get that. You know, I, I can feel love, but what, what is hope and how do I connect? Um, I was just telling Jamie, this is my third day in Birmingham in a row. So even though I don't live here, I've been here Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And yesterday, um, we, we drove up the M5 because my son was hoping to get his hands on a new car. Uh, he's got a, an old car, and I mean a really, really old car. And he'd kind of been searching through Auto Trader and, and, and the other sites are available. And the kind of disappointment of ringing up and someone said, yeah, it's gone. Or, you know, kind of the MOT is not quite right. So we, we drove up to Birmingham because we'd kind of done the deal on the phone. And we were thinking, this is it. And he even said to me, 18-year-old boy, he says, I'm going to be driving home in a new car. And he was just so excited. So we get to West Brom with his little very, very, very old car. And um, we're doing a part exchange. And the guy takes one look at his car and says, I'm not going to give you a penny for that. <laughs> And we both drove home with that sense of loss and, you know, that the hope had been deferred. It wasn't quite what we expected for. So we're still on the lookout if anyone's got any cars available. But, but you have those kind of moments where you're hoping for something and it doesn't quite work out. Or maybe on the other hand, you're hoping for something and it goes even better than you expected. You, you know, you think you, you're going to go for a job and you, you speak to the boss and they decide to give you £5,000 more than you were expecting was advertised. These things never happen to me. But, you, you know, you kind of, those moments where your hope is exceeded with the reality of the situation. Or maybe you can identify with this situation. Let's watch the screen. How many of us have been in that situation where you've given the gift and the response isn't quite what we thought? Or, if we're honest, how many of us have been a little bit like that child when we didn't quite get what we hoped for? Let's turn to Romans chapter 15. I'm going to look at a few different passages, um, but, but this verse will appear on the screen behind us. says these words, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says... The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not going to ask you to stick your hands in the air, but who can identify with that feeling? I'm, I'm overflowing with hope this morning. Or how many of us identify with the girl and we just want the toy and we got something different? You see, life doesn't always fulfill its expectations. You might be sitting around the Christmas dinner table this year with one less person around the table. There's a missing place. Maybe a job situation that hasn't gone to plan. Maybe a relationship issue that is unresolved and you're dealing with tension and living with the challenges. Maybe finances aren't quite what we expected. Maybe you're staring in the face of loneliness. You wanted a toy, but it didn't quite turn out that way. Romans chapter 5 says these words. We too can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit which fills our hearts with his love. How do we get hold of this hope and and where does it exist in this world when we're faced with so many challenges and distractions and if we're not careful do we end up missing the hope that is on offer? Well what I'm going to attempt to do in the next 20 minutes is trace through a whole book of the Bible. Okay and we're going to look at the book of Ruth and we're going to look at her particular story and where hope appears in some unlikely places And for those who are really observant, you might even get that Christmas theme that threads through. So you might want to open it um, on your Bibles, tablets, any way you've got it. Four chapters in the book of Ruth. It's a tiny, tiny book. And it was written in an era where the judges were ruling over Israel at the time of the kings. But there was a famine in this particular land I'm not sure if it was because of judgment or just the circumstances of life. And one of the key guys, his name was Elimelech, which is quite difficult to say. Um, he decided to move his family away from Cana, the promised land, to a different land called Moab. Okay? So famine in the land, he thinks, I want to look after my family in this difficult situation. The gas bills and electricity bills are going up, so I need to go somewhere else to make sure I can provide for my family. It's an honourable thing to do. Elimelech's name, we're going to get the cast list behind us on the screen. Elimelech's name means God is king. Imagine having that as your name. Wherever you walk around, every time someone hears your name, they hear God is king. Some people question whether he lived out the meaning of his name in moving to Moab. And um, Elimelech was married to Naomi. Her name meant sweet and pleasant. Another great name to have, you know, and they moved together, but they had two sons. Their sons' names were Malon and Chilion. One meant sick and the other meant dying. So I'm not sure if they were having a bad day on the day that they were born. I'm not sure if it was a kind of a prophetic vision of what was about to happen to their sons. But it's a strange name to give your sons. But anyway, the story unfolds. And the two boys grow up and they marry two women from Moab, two Moabite women. And they they start to grow up and life seems to be going happily ever after. 
But the Moabite women aren't necessarily God followers. They're not from Canaan. They're not Jews. They're from a foreign land. But at the end of chapter 1, tragedy strikes because Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And not long after, the two sons live up to their name, sick and die and actually die. They've had three deaths in very short space of time. And three women, mum, daughter and daughter, are left widowed. Imagine that situation, the the loss of hope. They're battling with really, really tough circumstances. Not only the emotional loss, but who's going to provide for us now in this land? I just wonder over this Christmas season what we could do to just recognize loneliness. You know, not everybody is surrounded by people. Not everyone has that experience of the crowded house and the chaos. Some of us are craving for a bit of time on our own, I know. But what can we do to recognize those who've gone through loss, particularly in this season? So, Naomi, the mum, she decides, right, probably the best thing for us to do is go back to our homeland. Because at least I know how to live there. I know what things um, happen like. So, so they're halfway down the road and they're walking down the road and Orpah and Ruth have gone with Naomi. And Naomi stops dead in her tracks. And she turns back to the girls and says, girls, you don't even come from this land. Why don't you stay in your homeland? There's no reason for you to come with me. So Orpah decides that she's going to stay in Moab. But this is Ruth's reply, and it'll be familiar to us if you've ever read this story. But Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. What an amazing phrase. What an amazing turn of words to hear. Don't underestimate the power of just being there for someone. I'm going to travel with you in that hopeless time. I'm going to travel, even though I've got nothing to offer, I'm just going to be with you. And in that moment, God can reveal himself to people, hope in hopelessness. So Ruth and Naomi, they head off back home. And and Ruth, chapter 1, verse 19, records, and this is where you start to get the hint of Christmas, they return to their hometown of Bethlehem. Now we know Bethlehem was a small town, a, a town of about 200 people. So when Naomi arrives back in their hometown, the really, really small hometown, of course they recognize her and they're excited to see her. So they say, can this be Naomi? Can this be sweet and pleasant? And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I want to be known as bitter because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. She's not experiencing much hope in this situation. You can kind of feel the emotion, the look on her face. You know, her name is sweet and pleasant, but she wants to be referred to as bitter. Hope has been deferred. She wanted the toy, but she didn't get what she wanted. 
See, Naomi's story up to this point has kind of been all about loss. She, she left her home that she loved and went to a foreign home. She had a husband and she had sons and she lost, lost, lost. And it would be so easy for Naomi's story to be defined by loss rather than hope. But our story doesn't have to be defined by the circumstances of our lives. I want that to sink in, so I'm going to say it again. Our stories don't have to be defined by the circumstances of our lives. You know, when God steps in, it doesn't happen immediately, but transformation can happen. Let me read you this story. There was a guy by the name of Gerald Sitzer. He had a car accident. He was driving in his van, and he was hit by a drunk driver. And in this accident, he lost three generations of his family in one moment. He lost his mother, he lost his wife, and he lost his youngest daughter. He wasn't hurt in the slightest. And he wrote this book as as a means of kind of dealing with his grief. It was called Grace Disguised. These are words that he penned. Loss does not need to be the defining moment of our story. The defining moment can be our response to the loss. The story does not need to be about loss. Loss doesn't need to be the defining moment of our story. The defining moment can be our response to the loss. Loss does not have to be the defining moment. In other words, we might get given a role, a circumstance, a situation in life, but we decide how we're going to play that role. We decide how we're going to perform it, how we're going to live it out, how we're going to act out in this world. So this isn't a story of loss, the book of Ruth. Actually, it's a story of hope and redemption. So let's keep going in the story. Ruth and Naomi arrive home and they they start thinking, what are we going to do for a job? So they start working in this field. Well, it's not really working. It's kind of picking stuff up that they can just eat and live on. It's kind of like a Imagine someone in town who's just picking up plastic bottles and trying to recycle them and get pennies. It's it's not going to give them a very good way of life. But in this particular field, she gets noticed by a man. And this man, Ruth uh, gets noticed by this man whose name is Boaz. He's the owner of this particular field. Boaz takes notice of her, and Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, says these words. So they went out, and they began to glean behind the harvesters, and as it turned out, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the clan of who? Elimelech. As it turned out, like it was just some coincidence that she happened to pick the very field that one of her distant relatives happened to to own. It was just chance. It was just, no, the God who created the world is in control. And there was a seed of hope that in the picking up of these kind of left behind bits of harvest, it just happened to be in the field that gave a sense of hope. It wasn't coincidental. It wasn't totally by chance. It didn't just turn out to be that way. There was a creator who was designing all things. 
You see, located right in the middle of this loss was a seed of hope. So Boaz takes notice of Ruth and, and he likes her. And he starts to befriend her. So Naomi, the mum, as all mums do, decides to do a little bit of matchmaking. So, so Naomi thinks, well, I could sort my daughter out here and things might work out as we originally intended. So she gives her daughter some advice. Now, I'm not suggesting this is 21st century advice, but feel free to kind of just read it as it says in Scripture. Tonight, you bathe. You put on your best perfume. You put on your nicest clothes. And then you go to the barn where Boaz is working. After he's done eating and he lies down and goes to sleep in the barn, you go down and lie at his feet and he will tell you what to do. All very mysterious and exciting. I'm not sure it's the best advice to give your daughter, but anyway, it's what happened in this particular situation. It's quite strange, but it was a means of proposal, I guess, in this particular context. So in Ruth chapter 3, suddenly... Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night. He's slightly alarmed because there's a woman, strange woman, sleeping at his feet. And in the dark and in the kind of the, the maze and the, the, the chaos, he wakes up and demands that she says who she is. She replied very forwardly, Make me your wife according to God's law, for you are a close relative and thank God, um, sorry, for you are my close relative. Thank God for a good girl like you, he exclaimed. Don't worry about a thing, my child. I'll handle it all. The details for everyone. Um, the, uh, I'll handle the details. Everybody knows what a wonderful person you are. Sounds like a happily ever after story, doesn't it? This kind of situation where hopelessness and loss suddenly turns into hopefulness. See, Boaz in the book of Ruth, is known as the guardian redeemer. The guardian redeemer. What was the guardian redeemer? Well, in kind of um, difficult circumstances and times, imagine you'd lost someone or you'd lost something. You couldn't afford your property or your field any longer. It was like a guarantor on the mortgage or a guarantor on your rent. So if in the event that you couldn't pay it, a good friend would cover the cost so you didn't lose your property and you wouldn't kind of fall on destitution. So, so the guardian redeemer would come along and they would purchase the land on the proviso that really you could still farm it, you could still tend it, you could still live in that place. No small sacrifice for this man Boaz to take on a woman from a foreign land, a non-believer, and welcome her into his house. I just wonder what role Encounter Church could play this season by living out that Boaz generosity. (laughs) What would it look like if we had a spirit of Boaz which basically says, who are the foreigners and aliens? Who are the people who don't fit in to our church, to our society, to our culture? Who are the people on the outside that we could welcome into our space, into our homes, into our lives, into our church. You see, Boaz gives us a picture here of welcome and embrace. Loving those who others wouldn't care for. Caring for those who others wouldn't welcome in. Those who wouldn't fit in. Redeeming them, even though they seemed to be beyond redemption. 
See, it's not just about welcoming someone on a Sunday morning. It's about involving them in our lives, our families, our communities, taking responsibility for the situation. So the story carries on, and there's a little bit more complication. Because Boaz isn't actually allowed to marry Ruth because there's a closer relative that should take responsibility for this. And Boaz, being an honourable man, needs to check with him that he doesn't want to take Ruth to be his wife and take on this responsibility. So um, he, he kind of comes alongside and uh, he says to this particular guy, um, he says, that there's a land that you can redeem, he says to the other relative, if you want. Um, oh, and the other thing is, if you acquire the land, you also get Ruth the Moabite and the mother-in-law as a deal. So it's like you're buying a house and then you realise that, that somebody's living upstairs in the house who likes to call themselves bitter. And, and you're thinking, mm, I'm not quite sure I want to do that. So he, he refuses politely, which gives Boaz the, like, the, the right to be able to take on this situation. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13 we could read the story. She became his wife, and when they made love, the Lord enabled her to concede, and she gave birth to a son. But where does this fit with the Christmas story? How does this all fit with those, those readings from Romans when we were reading about hope? Well, for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, you will know that Boaz obviously had a mum. His mum was Rahab. We read about Rahab, the woman who welcomed the two spies into Cana. She had welcomed the outsiders. Boaz had welcomed the outsiders. Maybe there was something that had been modelled within that family situation. But Boaz was able to show comfort to Ruth in this particular situation. Um, Let me pick up from Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. Then the women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who this day has not left me without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living um, there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And Jesus came from the line of David. Wow! This woman who had lost, this woman who had lost everything, became the seed of that birthed the Saviour into our world. I wonder if, in looking for hope, we just need to work a little bit harder at unwrapping the layers. I wonder if our initial disappointment, God's saying, come on, just, just look a bit deeper. Find me. Because hope isn't a thing, hope is a person. And I want to be with you in the circumstances of your life. What appeared to be hopeless was actually the seed, not just of hope in that situation, but ultimate hope for the world. What appeared to be a life of loss and loneliness was actually part of the lifeline for the world. 
Let me just remind us of these words in Romans again. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask Isaac to just come and join me on the platform. But I just want to finish with one little illustration. You see, I started by saying that hope is a little bit intangible sometimes. I'm not the best gas fitter in the world, but the other week I needed a radiator in the front room. I hoped to get a radiator fitted. And the reason I was hopeful was that the guy that I'd asked to do it knew what he was doing. I didn't have a clue. You see, my hope isn't in something abstract. My hope is in someone who is able. And as we enter into this Christmas season, I don't know what the circumstances of life are emotionally, physically, practically, but our hope isn't in something out there. Our hope is in someone who has made himself present in our world. Even in the infinite details of life. He's revealed himself, and he hasn't stopped revealing himself to you today. Why don't we just stand to our feet? I'm just going to read these words over us that, that um, was written in the book of Romans. Romans chapter, um, well, Romans 13, it says these words. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace As you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it again. Let's let it sink in. These are words for us this morning. Words that we can cling on to. Words that are revealed in the person of Jesus. I don't know what your circumstances of life or the situations you find yourself in. But I want to pray that the God of hope will fill you, not someone else next to you, will fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you will be overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible often talks about overflowing. It's so that we've got more than enough to give away. Imagine what this area will look like with Encounter Church overflowing with hope. Imagine what that's going to spill into over this Christmas season. It's not just about me having a good time, but I start spilling into my family relational situations, my workplace, those Christmas nights out that we do or don't want to attend. We're overflowing with hope when people are presenting us with problems and loss and difficulties because we put our trust in someone who is the author of hope. And we just need to unwrap the layers a bit further to see actually what is on offer. So Heavenly Father, I pray for each person here today. Lord, I pray that your hope will be uncovered. Your hope will be revealed. I pray that we will recognize that that hope is actually a person. Lord, we thank you for the hope of the world 
that has stepped into our world. (laughs) And Father, I just want to pray, Lord, specifically for people here this morning who may be struggling in difficult situations where maybe hope just feels a bit hidden or intangible at the moment. Lord, I pray that as we discover you, the author of hope, that you take our story of loss and you write a new chapter of redemption. That you as our guardian redeemer, the one who has bought us back, provides a way forward for each one of us. Father, we thank you. And we pray that we know the reality of this. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song together and Isaac and the team are going to lead us. But if anyone specifically wants prayer, there might be a specific situation you're facing, I'd be more than happy to pray. I know all the members of the leadership team would. Maybe you know the person next to you and you just want to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, let's pray instead of singing this song about a specific thing. But let's know the author of hope over this season. God bless.